Uh, yeah, and we are back for another episode. That's right, man. Listen, let me tell you something. Last week's episode, I, I knew what it was going to be. The one and only Styles P, one-third of the legendary LOX. He stopped by. Should I say a re- he, he's a return guest. The return episode of Styles P. Shouts to everyone who checked that out. Shouts to everyone who tweeted, who really enjoyed the gems. What I really enjoy about Styles is he is a gangster and a gentleman. Dude uh, is just a good dude, but more importantly, real grown life conversations. Like things you could learn. I feel like the last time he was on, on he dropped a truckload of gems. And I feel like this time he, he dropped another truckload of gems. So shouts to everyone who checked out the Styles P episode last week. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you go. Go on to iTunes, subscribe to us, rate, leave a comment. You know, let us know. Let us know. Let us know what you think. Go to SoundCloud. Go to Spotify. Go to Stitcher. Go to TuneIn. Whatever and however you listen to podcasts, go and listen. And dig in the catalog. Listen, okay? There's a lot of dope episodes that people show love to, and I appreciate that. But keep on going back. There's a Just Blaze episode. There's the, Rest in peace to the legendary Prodigy, man. It's a great Prodigy episode. There's so many different episodes. And again, as people who listen, if you're a new listener, then I'll explain to you. If you're not, then I'm still going to explain because we need to be reminded. This show is not just one way. Okay, we're going to have artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, so many different people from all walks of life. And we're going to go over the journey. We're going to find out about the successes and the struggles and the happiness. And, and, And hopefully at the end of the day, admire the journey, but more so learn something, too. Okay, and shouts to everybody. Listen, you you know when I tell people what time it is. Shouts to everyone that checks in. Okay, so right now, open your Twitter app. Open your Instagram app, even if you email us, whatever it is, okay, and check the fuck in. Let me know where you're checking in from. There's so many. Every week I've been shouting out all the different places, and I'm thankful. Thankful for, for, for Copenhagen, Denmark on the check-in, Buffalo, Rochester, Boston, UK, North Carolina. Go ahead and raise up. Okay, well, actually, maybe South Carolina. That's you're supposed to raise up. But anyway, listen, internet. Detroit's always on a check-in. New York, of course, you're on a check-in. Houston, D.C., Boston. Shouts to Boston. Shouts to Philadelphia. Shouts to people worldwide checking out the Premium Pete Show. And if you, and in, you know what I will say? In a world where people complain so much about hate, I really receive a lot of love, and I'm thankful. I really receive a lot of uh, thank yous from people like, yo, Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for inspiring me. And if you're listening, you're at work or, or, or whatever, you know, and it inspires you or, or the person on the show inspired you, then I'm glad. Like, internet, I really want that to happen for somebody. I really want someone to listen to this and go out and open up their own business. I really want someone to listen to this and learn how to be a producer or what, whatever it is. Like, that, that shit means a lot to me. I feel like what you could do for somebody else and what you leave behind is is more important than anything you ever do. I want to take this time out now and wish every mother in the world, not only mother, aunt, grandmother, step stepmom, whatever it is. Let me tell you something. My relationship with my mother is special. Um, I love that woman. She's been there for me through thick and thin. You know, when I got in trouble in this world and, you know, you know, when I was a knucklehead in this world, um, you know, may yelled at me, but always supported me, always was there, always believed in me that I could turn it around. And I, I'm just so thankful. And, you know, 
being a father, being a separated father, being a regular father, be, you know, going through the having an eighteen-year-old daughter and going through all those years, and having a three-year-old son, and just seeing what it takes as a father. Like sometimes it's funny. I I make jokes. I say, hey, you know, like somebody, uh, you know, you, you'll be at like a, a um, you know, maybe a, a dance class for your kid or whatever, and they may ask a couple of questions. I'm like, look, I'm just a father. And I mean that because there's something so special about a mom, how she loves, how she cares, how she unconditionally loves. And I think sometimes, you know, they snap into being a mother so quick where guys are like, you know, afraid to change diapers and whatever it is. Anyway, Internet's on this day. And and Mother's Day is just one day. So, you know, I want to appreciate you all every day. So to the mothers worldwide, okay? Please, if you're a mother and you listen to this, at me, Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, so I could tell you how much you're appreciated. So I could tell you, you know, how much you mean and how important you are to raising our kids, to to to, to really just instilling love into them. Because sometimes, and I'm not going to go against, you know, who I am as a father, but sometimes men, we're knuckleheads and and. And I feel like a woman really just holds the fort down and really is the the just 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 the most understanding and caring person, you know, because of my mother, um, I've been able to be more of a, a, a person to care. And, you know, instead of just like, oh, man up, like, nah, man, like, it's OK if you care and you love. Look, J. Cole said it, Mama, I love you, man. And Internet's worldwide. Um, even, e- e- even you know, fellas, you know, who listen to the show worldwide, to your wives, to your baby moms, to to your girl, whoever. Happy Mother's Day, and 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 take this time to appreciate them. Don't only worry about gifts and roses or fucking whatever. Take this time to say, look, ma, I appreciate you, or look, honey, I appreciate you. Thank you, because I tell you one thing. You can have all the success in the world, but if you got nobody to share it with, it's just kind of corny. And if you think that that's not true, then go and live that life. Go and see what it's like to come home and have everything, maybe, and still feel lonely. Happy Mother's Day to mothers all across the world, especially my mom. My grandmother was 98 years old. She's going to be in uh, uh, September. My aunt, who's like a second mother to me. You know, and my sister, who's, you know, my sisters who are great moms. You know, just just so many people, man. So many people that are close to me. You know, my daughter's mom and and my son's mom, and you know, just it's it's internet's shit. I, I, I'm about to choke up from talking about moms. I'm about to choke up, but I'm not. You know why? Because I want to tell people my tweet that I tweeted this week and how much it means to me. I'm gonna read it off to you. I tweeted, "Never stop believing you could do what you love for a living." Again, that's never stop believing you could do what you love for a living. And I and, and in the caption I wrote, I put it also put it on Instagram. I wrote, "Don't let people talk you out of it, and more importantly, don't talk yourself out of it." Believe. Internet. Let me tell you something. If you ever have any family members or friends that you grew up with, or people around you, and you're a DJ, or 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 you are someone who created a product, and you, you know, you're amazed by what you, or, or you just, you have a day job and you come home and you work hard on a side job. Don't ever stop thinking that that side job, side job that you love so much can't be your everyday life. 
don't ever stop thinking that you could do what you love for a living. I remember hearing, you know, my friend's mother growing up. My friend was a DJ, and she was like, that's not a real job. You can't make a listen, okay? Look at EDM DJs. Look at so many DJs out of this world that have traveled the world and, and are living life and, and, and have done so much and, and created and are part of so much culture. Internet, so listen, I'm not going to go fully into this one because there's not much to say. If you're having a hard day, understand that there are hard, day, hard days that come. But most importantly, never stop believing you could do what you love for a living. Okay? It may be tough times, but you got to stay focused. You got to stay patient. And you never stop hustling. Never stop working towards your dreams. Don't be worried if it's saturated. No, I don't give a shit. Never stop believing that you could do what you love for a living. Internet, on this week's episode, we have... Another lane that we went down. That's right, Internet. You think, listen, we are not playing, okay? Entrepreneurs, athletes, artists, you never know who's going to be on the Premium Pete Show. But I've been a fan of this guy for so long. Man vs. Food. I mean, with his competitions, you know, so many different, you know, I, I always wanted to have my own food show. Seeing this guy, I mean, it it, it, it was dope. And, and, and he actually sent me a DM and came up and I was like, Adam Richmond. I was like, what the fuck? And, and it said, yo, I love what you do. Keep doing it. And, you know, we, we eventually got to talk and I was like, bro, I got to have you come on. Listen, the journey of, of starting a food show, of getting involved, how that works, and, and everything in between. Internet, I present to you the Adam Richmond episode of the Premium Pete Show. Stay hungry, my friends. Come on, everybody, get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting here with the one and only, okay? But the one and only, what the fuck does the one and only even mean? Okay, <laughs> some, when, you, when we go down the lines of in, introducing people, okay, sometimes we may say a couple things, but there's so much more than that. TV personality, right? Author yet? Not an author Yeah, yet. two books. See, look at that. See? Internet, we're going to find out today. <laughs> author, fellow Brooklyn Knight. Holla. Okay? And just uh, somebody that... Uh, has a passion for food, just like me. I mean, I gotta say, even an entrepreneur, maybe a food, a food. We call it like a food. How do we even say like a, a entrepreneur food, for a food? I would say food entrepreneur, or foodpreneur. I don't know. Adam Richmond, what's going on, my dude? <laughs> First of all, thank you for being here today. I'm honored. I'm, I've been a fan for some time. So. You know, you know, it, it, when, when I really, I was telling you before we started, you start making stuff and creating stuff. Like that's what you've been doing for years. And you don't even realize who's listening or who's watching sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's a pleasure when I hear those things. It's a pleasure that, you know, when, when I, you know, you, sh- you shout me like, yo, love what you're doing, man. Fully slid into your DMs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fully slid into the DMs <laughs> trying to be Not like here. that internet. Yeah, exactly. But also, I mean, the truth of the matter is a lot of the people that you've had on are people that I admire. And sure. I think, you know. Um, the fact that we were just talking about Ronnie Feig and Kiff and that started a block away from my house. Sure. Um, 
John Seymour and Sweet Chick again, you know, a guy that I've admired and a guy I really am a big fan of. So I think that it's always cool when you see like people that you admire and people whose work and stuff you admire, you see those crossroads happening. You know, Adam Richman, uh, a native New Yorker, Mm -hmm. you know, um, born and raised mom and dad. Both, yeah, yeah, both. Dad went to Erasmus. Mom went to Madison. I went to Midwood. Nice. (laughs) I mean, it's a perfect family. What what, What did dad do growing up? Uh, dad was a lawyer. Nice. Dad was a lawyer. Mom didn't start teaching until after my folks got divorced and then became a guidance counselor. They got divorced um, in the middle. How old were you when I was divorced? mad young. They started with a separation when I was about four. Oh, so you didn't even realize. And it was, that. no, no. Sadly, okay. I did. I really? Did. Yeah. Why would you say yeah, that? Yeah. Huh? Why would you say that you You, you know, I, I mean, I just remember. I remember, I remember that they just, you know, my dad, you know, would never like raise his hand to my mother, nothing like this. He just didn't get along. Sure. And, uh... No, I mean, I just, I remember, I have very, very real memories of my dad moving out and walking out and very real memories of like going to lawyers and the paperwork and they started with a separation leading to a divorce. And you got to remember, you know, my, my, it's crazy to think my 44th birthday is next week. And, um, you know, we're talking four decades of time. And when my folks were divorced, that was the exception not the rule sure, now sure, everyone sure, and their mothers got sure, on second sure, marriage third marriage sure. you sneeze wrong somebody's like i'm out of here i'm out of here i'm done but you know i always speak about this just from being a father of an 18 year old i also have a three-year-old wow. uh, being divorced mm-hmm. um you know and going through that pain um i didn't i did when i say pain you know okay you don't get along with your better half and things don't work out yeah but when you raise a kid separately to me it, it it was cool in the beginning but it was tough later on um being you were young but you do have you know visual you know visualizing uh, what happened did you feel like that ever affected you or? yeah i mean i think that everything that happens to us affects us in some way or another yeah i mean i think that being a child of divorce i think somehow has manifested itself a little bit in commitment issues sure but i also think um it's made me fiercely loyal. Um, mm, mm. I, also, I like that. I also think to a different extent, you know, like you said, you know, when my mom and dad's rationale was that way I got them both at their best, mm. that independent of it. And it's, again, it was the exception and not the rule. So, you know, your, your friends are giving you, you know, grief because you're taking school you know, close to school on Friday and they don't understand. Wait, so you, you spend the weekends at your dad's, but then during the week you're at your mom's and your dad's the school parent on this trip, but your mom's on this trip. And then that was whatever, but then it really gets super duper minefield. Like when they start dating people and remarrying and mom was dating someone and then, Dad wasn't. Then dad was, and everything was kind of equal. But then mom broke up, and then she didn't like the fact that dad still had somebody. And then dad married that person. It's just the plot thickens. And as a kid, it's hard because you want to stay Switzerland. And sure, just sort of, sure. I want to be loved by both of y'all. Sure. I love both of y'all. I don't want to choose. And so there is there is a little bit of that, that shakeup. But, you know, not for nothing, there are people in life. i just been doing charity work in the Dominican Republic that get dealt uh, way, way, way worse hand than just divorce. Sure. So it's it's incumbent upon me to like keep my head above water and try to keep my shit straight. And I I can't be like, oh, mom, it's because you and dad didn't get along that I am not married, or because I 
fuck up relationships. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, that's I got some of that shit's on me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we 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 do need to take notice of what we do. Um, but pops in your relationship was always good. Uh, almost, almost. But it was when I got older and I was in college and I was feeling my oats a little bit as a young man. And and pop and I did occasionally knock. I mean, I, he's my hero. I loved him. My John Wayne for sure. Um, and no, my, my dad and I had a very loving relationship. It wasn't until my college years, not too long before he passed. Uh, Rest in peace. We had, thank you. We had a, we had a few bump and runs that weren't exactly positive. And you know, the thing is we're both a bit stubborn and both Tauruses and, uh, my dad's birthday, it would be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, um, I will tell you that the crash course is, you know, I always realized that I, it was a moment of maturity for me if I ever stopped being angry or sad and I got a lesson. Like I, I took that lesson. Instead of being mad about a breakup or mad about someone fucking me over, to realize that there was a lesson I could learn, internalize, and become better and stronger as a result of mm. taking that L. And um, my dad and I, had a, a bit of a, an argument, a bit of an issue happened my sophomore year of college and we didn't talk for a bit and he's gone now. And it was the ultimate crash course. And like, you will never get those months back, dude. And was that one argument worth never having those two months with your father again? And of course the answer is no. Sure. So if it made me a better friend, a better son to my mom, stepson to my stepmom, grandson to my grandparents and so on, um, then I think my dad would be happy that as a man, instead of just pissing and moaning and being sad and filled with regret, I could just make sure that that never happens again and learn from that, you know, learn from that sure. mistake. Do you ever think about having kids? Yeah, all the time. Uh, it still can happen. Yeah, yeah, you know, everything's in working order, you know what I mean? I all, <laughs> all, all bells and whistles seem to okay. be seem to be firing. I know I, I definitely, you know, there was a period of time I, I want and I was like, ah, fuck, I've already turned 40 and, you know, I don't want to be like, uh, what's that joke in when Harry met Sally? She's like, Charlie Chaplin had kids when he was 60. He's yeah. like, yeah, but he couldn't pick them up. Yeah. You know, but I don't want to, I want to be able to like throw a ball around sure, her sure. and help out. Not for nothing. I've seen my cousins when they've had kids and you just have to be in good shape to just run after them, to keep up with them. Sure. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't sure. run into Stop. that table. Come Stop. Here, here. I know you want to touch Mickey Mouse. Don't fucking touch Mickey Mouse. Don't, don't run off the mall. And I see that. No, I definitely, I'm an only child, so I feel that there's also a bit of an obligation to pass my family line on. And I also, I, I want to be a dad. I think that I'd be a good dad, and I feel that part of, I lived on an Indian reservation for a bit, and the, the Native Americans. When, always, when was that? Um, it was, the longest period was 1997. Why did you have over there? Um I was an actor in Atlanta, and a lot of actors would get summer jobs through this thing called the Okona Lefty Little Symphony Society in Cherokee, North Carolina. But it was located on the Cherokee Res. And then as part of doing that, you had to work on this big outdoor pageant about the tribe. And you lived on the reservation in Cherokee, North Carolina. Mm. And you performed right alongside real Cherokee and 
learn the culture, and it was really quite amazing. But they always say, you know, we don't inherit the earth from our parents. We borrow it from our children. And so I feel that if I have a true legacy, like it's cool to promote all the restaurants and buy my mom's shit and give to charity, but I think that your children are a lasting living legacy to you, and I think that that's something beautiful to take, like, the love you feel for another person and put it into this the creation of this whole third human and you can put the best of yourselves into them. Sure, sure. So I think that's that's also really special. And to be fair, I know my mom would like to see me settle down. And to be fair, I'd kind of like to be settled down. I, 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 I've dated, I've had my fun, and, and I think it'd be cool to like build something greater than myself. Sure. You know, uh, if you do have a baby, you can make a new show called Man vs. Baby. Yeah. I can, but... No, no. I mean, what would we be doing? Would it be like... You'd be eating all the Gerber, the Gerber uh, applesauce. Oh, and, yeah, right, all the baby food? Or would it be like just... Is it true that like you just never sleep? Oh, never. Well, it depends. Sometimes, like, like for instance, I have a three-year-old, I have an 18-year-old. My son was pretty good, to be honest with you. Your son's daughter, the 18-year-old? No, three. My, my daughter was a little bit tough. I, I used to have to go put her in a car seat, drive around so she would fall asleep. She was very colicky. And she would get very, um, you know, fussy and, and cry. So I would drive around. As soon as I would hit 30 miles per hour, she'd be out. And then I would take it out the car seat, bring it back up, put her in a crib. So How long was, did you have to drive around for? About six, oh, uh, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes. But that's what I had to do. But, but Every know, night? Uh, for about six months. Wow. Yeah, six months. And uh, it was tough. But my son, we, this kid would sleep through the whole night like he drank a beer. You know what I mean? And uh, got all drunk and... And and we wouldn't wake up to the morning, but he he was good. He let us sleep, and I think the, every kid's different. But more importantly, um, I think you will be a great pops because Thanks, even man. speaking about like your father, and and I know that's gonna. It's like you always, we always work to be better than our our old man was. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's gonna be special. You know what? It's funny when we talk about Adam Richmond, mm-hmm. okay, and people think man versus food. You know how many people tell me, especially you know over time, or even like people I told that you're gonna be coming on to the show. Do I go, how did this guy not die yet? Right? Do you ever hear somebody say that about you? Quite a bit, yes. Do, do you ever, did you ever think that there was a moment where you, I mean, I know you spoke about health before, and we'll get into that. Um, you know, you lost tons of weight. Mm-hmm. What was your, what was the most you ever weighed? Oh, man, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm mad cagey about the health stuff in terms of like actually putting, sure, putting, sure, no problem. putting stuff out there. But, you know, I, I think for me, it was always about health. I knew that, you can't take in. People also think that the calories were the challenges. It was never that. It was all the other stuff. Especially they thought that doing man versus food put the weight on me. Believe it or not, it was man versus food nation because when I was filming man versus food, knowing I had those challenges coming up, I knew I couldn't eat whatever I want as much as I wanted. I needed to keep empty and I had to kind of almost train like an athlete. The second I didn't have to do the challenges anymore, I could sample this and eat that and try this and eat lunch. And suddenly everything would build up. And that's really where the weight gain came on because I wasn't really being conscious of the calories I was taking on on camera. Like I was, those are work calories. They don't count. So it's like you're there eating bites of brisket and cold cuts and cheese and cake and all kinds of shit. And then all of a sudden you're like, and now I'll have lunch. Yeah. Like, really? (laughs) Really though? Like you had about three and a half ounces of brisket just because, you know, every time you've seen me take a bite, one bite on camera, that's about three or four bites in real life because we'll do one bite in a wide two shot with me and the owner. Sure. We'll do one where we follow the bite up from the food, and we might do a mid, 
And so then we'll do maybe like, and then I'll kind of give like a pithy outline of the segment to camera and then pop the last bite in my mouth. So that's not even counting like in between where we have to repo. We lost a bulb. This thing needs a battery. And we're all picking on shit and having a French fry and having a whatever. And you don't, and then all of a sudden you're on your feet, you're working, the adrenaline's going, you stop, everyone breaks for lunch. And it wasn't until I was like, all right, I need to start thinking about these calories I'm taking on on camera. So, yeah, I just, I didn't like the way I, I felt in my clothing. I didn't like the way I felt getting out of bed. And then finally I saw the the, the rushes. I saw the dailies from um, our shoot at Daytona at the beginning of a show I did about fan passion called Fandemonium. And my dude, I look fucking terrible. Mm. I, uh, I told my DP, my director of photography, so don't think I'm going there. Yeah. I, um, I told my director of photography, first I go, hey, my dude, um, you know what? Don't, don't shoot me from the side if you can help it. And then the next shot, they were following me walking up into this guy's decked out Daytona trailer. And I go, you know what? Don't try not to shoot me so much from behind. He's like, homie, I can't do an aerial shot food show. Yeah. Like, I have to shoot you walking around. I can't shoot from above. And I remember I went from that trip. I was already in Florida at Daytona, and I drove to a doctor I had seen years before, and he had a nutritionist in his practice, and he put me on a really strict regimen, and the rigors of filming helped me stick to it. And I knew. I knew that, you know, uh, if I weren't careful— and that's the other thing. I never want to give haters the satisfaction. Mm, like ever mm. since the first man versus food dropped and people thought that me not doing a challenge in Springfield, Illinois is going to cure world hunger or that because I'm eating hot wings in Pittsburgh, I don't care about people starving or people sure, having sure. obesity issues when it couldn't be further from the truth. So you're getting like all this scrutiny and all this whatever and people coming at you and the last thing I wanted to, people would actively say I want you to have a heart attack I want you to die I want you to fuck really oh like cra- crazy and so I mean I'm not I'm not unique in this I know people have said much worse to bigger celebrities than me but I just never wanted to give them the satisfaction of keeling over but when you met people there was nothing but love right 50-50 I think the familiarity that people feel like they're like I feel like I'm watching my boy on, on camera which is really dope but I feel that familiarity is a double-edged sword. So people will talk about my shit, like, like, like my actual feces, like my bathroom habits, or we'll talk about, like, what's your asshole like after like these challenges? Like, Mom, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and or sometimes they'll go, I can't believe you went to that bullshit ass restaurant. It's really kind of crazy. And uh, I get. I get grabbed a lot. I get a lot of like bro hugs and headlocks and arm punches and back. Like I get, I get buffeted about, man. I feel like I'm like Conor McGregor's like training dummy. Like sometimes, like if I go somewhere mad broy, like if I go like we we went to a football game by University of Tennessee in the Travel Channel's one time home of Knoxville. Boy, I was just the back slaps, the arm punches, the head, the hard you went headlocks. Home Oh, dude, this one dude in Memphis, like, wailed, like, if a dude wailed you in the back like that without any kind of intro, you'd throw. You'd sure, be like, sure, absolutely. It's absolutely. on right yeah, now. Yeah. Dude hits me in the back, and I go, ow. He's like, what's wrong? You got a sunburn? Hmm. It's like, no, dog, I don't know you, yeah, and you just you? took a full fucking swing <laughs> at my, like, lumbar spine. I'm not feeling that. Holy shit, But man. you know the flip side is, man, some people just, my, my sound guy, 
mm. one of my best friends. He's uh, he's way too talented to be working with me. I love him so much. Two-time Emmy winner for uh, what's his name? E- Eric Beanie for HBO Twenty Four Seven. He's a big hockey guy. He said, "You got to remember something because he saw me go from zero to sixty. He saw me go from a show that had no budget to the number one show on Travel Channel in one year, and." He taught me something very valuable. He said, for you, it might be your 50th, 100th photo of the day. It might be the 50th or 100th time someone wants a handshake or to talk to you about this show. But for them, that might be the first or only time they meet someone they know or like from television. And you have to show them that respect. You have to force yourself to always be patient and always be gracious. Mm. And um, it's easier said than done. But having fucked up in the public eye before, having done stuff I'm not proud of, having perhaps not been gracious or kind or smart, um, when you say cost that, me. When you say that, what does that mean? Are you talking about um, what, an issue that you had? Is yes, it, yes. It, I don't really talk about it too much because I'd rather let sleeping dogs lie. But essentially in 2014, um, I had a whole fracas on Instagram and only half the story had really ever come to light and because my publicist very wisely was like, just apologize for your part in it, be honestly apologetic and move on because the more you drag into he said, she said, it drags sure, out. Sure. But the upshot is I have to realize there's a line in, in Hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. And Hamlet says mm-hmm. to, oh, his, uh, excuse me, Laertes says to Ophelia when he finds out she's dating Hamlet, he goes, with a larger tether may he walk than may be given you. And I have to realize that I can't use social media like someone who isn't a food host. I can't use social media like someone who isn't part of a family brand like Walmart or Jim Beam or whatever it is. That I can't just snap back on somebody. I can't, you know, maybe if I were like, an MC, maybe if I were a really dirty comic, I could, you know, I saw John Daly beefing with Lil Xan or whatever. It was like really funny, but like, I can't be throwing around profanity and ugly thoughts and ugly words and expect to still have fans. I have to remember that I, I could be me. I could love what I love. I could stand for what I stand for, but I have to check myself before my mouth, my temper or my stupidity gets me in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, with something like that, it's funny because it's like people have like a direct effect with people now. They could just reach out to them. And some people don't have the patience or the mindset to not even want to bother with that. Like, like I realize not everything needs a response. You know, um, it took me a while personally to learn that because, you know, I get a lot of well, but there's times where I've got a lot of hate on certain things. And you don't understand why people say this. I mean, go look at the YouTube comments. I mean, I'm sure if you've ever seen, I mean... You, like you were saying before, people are very, you know, mean and, and vicious and, and you don't understand why. But then those are the same people where you meet in person and they're like, I love you, man. So, you know, you don't know. I, I just feel like sometimes people do things to get attention. Um, but we also need to be uh, aware of, you know, how we react. You know, I think that and I've learned, I'll be honest, just personally speaking, yeah. that not everything needs a response. Yeah. I mean, someone told me very aptly and I try to always remind myself of this. What we feed grows Mm. whatever Mm. we feed is what grows you respond to only haters people be like oh i told adam i loved his shit i'm feeling his shows i like what he represents but he didn't say anything but these people is who he responds to so number one there are people who love to troll i mean they have that hollowness in themselves and what gives them 
what gives them life is to get a reaction out of someone with a blue check mark, right? Sure. And you give them that and you you will fall prey. It's like uh, Bourdain, believe it or not. And it's not me trying to name drop. I once asked him for advice. I forwarded this, this some piss ant was way out of line. And I was like, I sent it to him and to Andrew Zimmer. And I was like, yo, I got to snap back on this motherfucker. Like this, this is way, way, way out of bounds. And Tony was like, mm-mm. He goes, block and ignore because these fuckers can smell blood in the water. Mm-hmm. And I did it and believe and like I said in twenty fourteen, I blinked. I blinked. And I have to take that L. And it was a deep, deep, deep L. It cost me financially, cost me professionally, cost me personally, um m- massively, massively. And and I can't like a punk move would be to turn around and blame the person sure, who instigated, sure, sure. but I took the bait. Sure. I took the bait. And it's like what's what Obi Wan Kenobi say? Who's the fool? The fool, the fool who follows him. Like, I took the bait and I fucked up, and I'm the one with something to lose. So, I just think now I try to feed the positivity, put positivity out there, and just you know, just brush it off my shoulder. Listen, when that beat plays, you know you know what's going on. But more so, like a pimp too, go and brush your shoulder off. There you go. You know, one thing I will say though is is from what I've seen, for the most part, yeah, people people know like you're you're a ni- you're a nice guy. Thank you, man. You, you're not a fuckhead. Thank you. You know man. what I mean? Like, you know, like so. You know, but then again, you, can, you can, not everybody can like you. But anyway, who cares? But we move on from that. No, it's a very valid point. We 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 move on from that, and we say this. You, I think you said you were in food business about thirteen. I heard you say. Yeah, yeah. Actually, even younger, my pop. I wanted a, a certain G.I. Joe figure, and my dad said, well, you better get some money and pay for it. <laughs> so I opened up a lemonade stand. I sold Wise potato chips from, like, the little the 12-pack, sure. those little tiny ones. I sold those and Country Time Lemonade out of a cooler on the corner of Avenue U and Homecrest Avenue okay, in Brooklyn. Nice, yeah. And I remember my dad, like, took back my operating costs, like— he, like, reached in, and he was like, okay, well, here's the receipt for the chips and for the lemonade and whatever. And I was like, what? That's my profit. What you yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. That's your profit. That's your operating cost. That's what it costs to start your business. I was like, you suck ass. So, yeah, I did that. I worked at neighborhood restaurants. I worked for a caterer, uh, Manhattan Beach Jewish Center, okay, and yeah. catered a bunch of events. And then was busing tables. I worked at that restaurant of Bracciamento by the yep. pier, out by Rockaway Pier. Yep. Saw uh, Beautiful. The, the late John Gotti yep, there, yep, pulled yep, up yep. in a Many speedboat. Times he's, yeah. Speedboat called Not Guilty. Mm. <laughs> and uh, this is a true thing. Was he with Sammy? He wasn't with the bull, but he was He was with someone I was wildly afraid of. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, one of these guys? Yeah, yeah, forget it. I love him. <laughs> You know, I'm talking about, and uh, well, my dad had worked with Dominic Profaci when I was really? growing up. Yes, wow. And um, and my dad used to pull some shit that he learned from Dominic. He said that when Dominic and people forget that that was largely Mario Puzo's yep. source material. Was that in Crazy Joe Gallo with the two guys? And Crazy Joe gets name checked in Goodfellas. Um, but my dad said that Dominic Profaci, when he got mad, he would whisper. Mm. And it freaked everyone out. And Pop Richmond used to deploy that shit like an absolute warrior. He used to be like, sit down. I have to talk to you. I'd be like, mother of God, I'm going to get my ass kicked. You know, when you think about that shit, not many people are that quiet anymore when they when, when, when things are happening. 
You know, usually people are very loud and boisterous and, mm-hmm. you know, what the fuck is your problem or this? You know, think about how many people are, like, remember, like, in uh, Bronx Tale, Jimmy Whispers, you know? Mm-hmm. Or even think about what Goodfellas, how, like, they all went over to Paulie and, uh, you know, whispered. He didn't want anybody to know what they were talking about. Even though those were movies, but you think about it, that was real life for a lot of us, especially for me growing up. I seen that so much and, and, and learned that, you know, because I came from a family of loud people. Right. And uh, so when I seen the whispering effect like that and the low voice, calm, like, holy shit, this guy is not playing around type shit. Yeah. It was uh, very intriguing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know if you know this. So I went to Yale drama. Uh, I got my master's in acting. Wait, wait, hold on. You Yale. can't just jump over that because you're about, what, 17, 18, you're busting tables? You would say? Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that. Sorry about that. No, no, no. Because no. Yale is, no, no, we, we jump all over. The reason I was going to just say it is because one of the things they tell you on stage, stillness is power. When you dissipate your energy and you start flailing your arms and histrionics, you don't seem you lose status. You immediately go from being the king on the chessboard to like a rook or a pawn. But when you're still and you have that kind of reservation of power, stillness translates visually and presence-wise as power on stage. Mm. You're not dissipating your energy with extraneous movements, vocal acrobatics. So that's why I mentioned it. Sorry, I didn't no, mean no, to no, no. quantum leap from bussing tables at the Schwartz no, bar mitzvah at Temple Bethel. You know why I want to? <laughs> you know I want to say that for is because. Going to Yale, that's like a, a big thing. Mm. That's why I was like, wait, hold on. We got to find out how the fuck you got to Yale because uh-huh. – so w- let's move – you're you busting tables. Uh-huh. I'd already acted at this point, by the way. Okay. I was nine years old. You could look it up on YouTube, type in Adam Richman, CBS, Child's Play, Goodson Todman Productions had a game show that was eventually replaced by No Whammies, No Whammies, No Whammies, Press Your Luck. Mm-hmm. Really? It used to be on right before Price is Right. Yep, yep. And it was called Child's Play. Kids would define words and adults would have to guess, without saying the word, adults would have to guess what word they were defining. And then they would they added a second like dimension, a second bonus round where the kids would be flown out to L.A. and the host stand would turn and then the adults would define words and the kids would have to guess. And I did that. So I'd already been doing some. How did you get into that? Is your parents signing you up? Real, real shit. Grandma, may she rest in peace. Grandma, uh, we went out for Chinese food in Starrett City where I used to live. <laughs> South of Starrett City. Huh? Shouts to Starrett City. Starrett City. Elmira Loop. Erskine. Oh, my God, man. Yeah, by, by Van Sicklin yeah, in yeah. Pennsylvania. And um, Farmer's Boulevard. First mugging I ever had. And uh, you never forget your first. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, excuse me, I remember though, um, grandma had seen the show and there was a thing at the end. If you know, or you or anyone you know, love to be a child on Child's Play, whatever. So she submitted me. I went into 375 Park Avenue or in here in the city, the Seagram's building. It was a la, 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 long audition. And I didn't even know it was an audition. I was just doing me. They kept it down to me and these two girls. And my mom picked me up from school and she said, I got a call from so-and-so from Goodson Todman Productions. And they said, how would Adam like to be on television? And I lost my shit. And I remember the AV squad pushing the TV into my fourth grade class so we could watch me on TV. That's fucking um, It was super dope. But then I was you know, a Jew from the Northeast. They're like, you will be a doctor. So I took AP Bio, AP Chem. I, was, I took Westinghouse Sciences and Laboratory Methods, Organic Chemistry, all kinds of stuff like this. But I, I always loved the acting, man. 
So what did you, okay, let's get back to, okay, so you've already been on TV. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, then you're 18, you're busting tables. Right. At that time, what did you even want to be? You you really wanted to be into acting? No, when I got to, when I got, I had kind of let the acting thing, I was like doing it like when I could in school or whatever else, but I went to college pretty sure I was going to go into like biomed or biotech. If I wasn't going to be a doctor, I was going to like do something like I was going to work for Procter and Gamble or Johnson sure, sure. or Merck or one of these really intense CFO Adam Richmond. Yeah, exactly. Or or like development. Or, yeah, director of development. Yeah, I don't know. And I always I, I have been speaking Hebrew since first grade, and I started learning French uh, when I was in about seventh grade. My mom had a French boyfriend, so I started learning. Really, and then I started taking classes in high school. So I speak French now. I speak Hebrew now. And I started teaching myself Japanese, and then I took Japanese in college. But I, um, so but what, I, what, what made you want to do that? Like, what, what, you know what I mean? Like, how old were you when it, when it? But I started learning Hebrew. No, Hebrew, Japanese, French. So Hebrew, I guess I started learning it about six or. What? How old are you? First grade, six or six years old. Uh, about that, yeah. So six years old. But French. what made you want? You know, like most people might like like uh, the army figures or 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 uh, matchbox cars. Yeah, or, yeah. Like or maybe maybe a video game or a TV. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, mean, I, don't I know. was GI Joe to the fullest, man. But 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 what what made you want to do that? Because I feel like sometimes kids and we're about almost the same age, but some some kids growing up were kind of like if it was like something like. A lot of work at a young age. People like, ah, eh, you know. They were- I mean, I was a nerd, and I got—I okay. was like a little bit of a fat sure. nerd. You sure. know, I want to just cop to that shit, but it made me tougher. Not for nothing. Sure. Like, you, you know, my dad. You know, the whole theory—you don't have to stand tall, but you got to stand up. And the thing is, one way or another, you know, that's the thing. A bully doesn't care about your size. A bully's just fighting. You know, they're just dealing with some other shit internally and projecting that shit onto you. So even though I was big for my age. I wasn't really a fighter. I wasn't crazy athletic, but I was creative and would draw and whatever. True. I went to a religious Jewish school, so half the day was conducted in Hebrew, so you just learn. And I always loved the sound of French. Mm. Um, and like I said, my mom dated this French guy hearing it spoken, and I got to go um, on a tour with my mom that my grandparents had gotten her as a gift when she was pretty young. And... Um, I got to go to Europe when I was really, really, I mean, way younger than a child with our family income could or should ever have gone. And I just knew that there was this world out there that I wanted to be a part of. And um, as I got older and would watch like art films and Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut and, um, you know, the, the, the French Nouvelle Vague and Chabrol and, and the Masters. I just, I love that sense of cool, like Abanda Par, which became Quentin sure, Tarantino's sure. production company. I just loved that shit. And I loved, I loved the the sound when it was sung. And so I started learning it. And then I uh, had a couple of really good teachers in high school. And then the same thing, Japanese culture, like ninjas. Bosu, sure, sure, sure. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Uh, well, that's Chinese, but Bosu Zoku, okay. the the... The Japanese motorcycle gangs yep, yep, with yep, the banners. Yep, yep. Love the anime like Akira. Back in the day, it was Akira and Ninja mm-hmm. Scroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, Masamune Shiro had just done Ghost in the Shell, things like this. So I was like about it with that anime and ninjas. And I love Akira Kurosawa, all those like old Toshiro Mifune movies like Yojimbo and Throne of Blood and Dreams. So I started learning the Japanese stuff. So I guess I, I really... I liked it. It allowed me to talk to more people, allowed me to feel like a citizen of the world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I was going to do medicine, and I went to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was doing pre-med. 
And then simply put, I bit off more than I could chew in my second semester. I was on varsity track, pledged a fraternity, um, had a rotten breakup. Like, I mean, my girlfriend at the time slept with like everyone but the three of y'all. Like, <laughs> like it was just fucking madness. I mean, what was her name? No, okay, for I'm playing. Give her no shine. But okay. anyway, um, the, uh, the I was just saying it was oh, you're away from home and you're pledging and you have freedom and and discipline was in short supply. And I tried doing bio and chem and macroeconomics mm. all the same semester, and I got hosed. And I was not someone used to getting jacked up grades, so I had to buckle down. And I told my mom we were just talking about this today. I just didn't love the medicine idea anymore. And I was I graduated with an international studies major. And then randomly, junior year, um, I did a sketch that I wrote um, for my fraternity. And one of the guys in my fraternity who had transferred to go to USC for acting and transferred back was like, you actually can act. Like, you're actually, like, legit, like a performer. And I said, oh, thanks, man. Appreciate you saying it. He goes, you should audition for Theater Emory. I said, I don't fucking know, man. I'm not a theater major. And, like, my experience, like, hardcore theater kids could be mad pretentious. I went to performing arts camp sure, sure. for a few years. It's like fame in the woods. And a lot of the people I went to camp with have gone on to, to do big things. So I said, I don't know. He goes, I'll make you a $5 bet. Audition. If you show up and I don't, you owe me five bucks. But, you know, vice versa, whatever. I didn't have five bucks to spare. I don't welch on bets. I showed up. I got a lead. And I met cooler people or more honest and true people than a lot of the sort of very fake people I was meeting in the fraternity world. And I acted till I graduated and I realized I could make a living in Atlanta, uh, even doing non-union work. It wasn't that expensive in, in 96 when I graduated. So I just started my acting career in Atlanta and I had roommates and stuff, but the cost of living was cheap. I had, you know, I could temp and I was smart enough that I can get good money temping. Sure, sure. And, um, yeah. And then I went from there from building up my professional resume and grinding it out, working at Skeeter Steakhouse and all these things. I went to an unpaid apprenticeship at Actors Theater of Louisville, where I lived off of food stamps. And that was the year my pop passed. And then it's a very prestigious theater. It's where the Humana Festival of American Plays is. And through there, I got two plays in Atlanta that kind of, again, kind of galvanized my confidence. And I came back to New York and booked some shows out of like an open call out of the back of backstage. Like I'll never forget. I didn't know what, it, you know, I had tokens fucking with a Metro card. I didn't know. And I remember there was an open call at the Tribeca Playhouse. I showed up two hours and change early and I was number 83. Mm. So, and I just was like there locking it down. I'm reading like Henry Miller, Tropic of Cancer, you know, <laughs> I'm mad deep, yo. And I'm sitting there reading this book and we're all waiting there with our headshots and and that eventually became something I did and eventually um you gotta understand also, not for nothing, I had wanted to go to Yale, ninety seven, ninety-eight, and I was thinking about it. I had a directory, this is the truth, man. I haven't really talked about this on interviews before. I had a directory of graduate programs on my lap and I'm in the green room of this theater in Louisville, Kentucky. And I call in to check with my stepmom to see how my dad is. And she said, I was trying to reach you. Um, X, Y, and Z happened and, and things are not going so well and you need to come home. And I 
you know, your whole body just goes numb and cold, and you're like, fuck, got it, you know. So the phone was above me. I remember I just took my right hand and hung it up, and I looked right down, and there was Yale School of Drama, the thing, and I remember I just reached right back up. I don't know why. And I just dialed, and I said, hi, I'd like a, an application. And I got waitlisted that year. And I didn't get in. And I said, no, 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 this is what I want to try. And I said I was going to give myself three good tries to get in. So then the next year, um, there was a chance to go to a very good program in San Diego. But I didn't want to be that far away from my mom, having just lost my dad the year before. And then I auditioned again, and, and I got into Yale. So it was like a it was a three-step process and a lot of eating shit along the way. <laughs> did you did you celebrate that uh you know, that accomplishment, were you able to celebrate or you just hit the ground running? Uh, when I got into Yale, I mean, I went out, I went, to, I was living in a basement apartment with a window one by 20 inches, one foot by 20 inches at best. And you just saw the bottom of the trash cans. And I remember like bouncing the fucking light through my house using mirrors and glass block. Like I was trying to like get out of a vampire maze. <laughs> and uh, I, I went and I remember I called my mom and. Um, you know, I, I had drinks, you know, at the bar across the street from my house and stuff. The funniest thing is actually the best, the best story about that shit was the day I found out I got man versus food. Um, this is so funny. They were pitching the show May 1st and there was a whole long story leading up to this, but they said, well, whatever happens, you'll know something May 1st. We're going to go and we'll pitch and we'll, we should have some idea. So I said, okay, and it had been a six-round process just to be the guy in the teaser trailer. Not even, hadn't been picked up yet. Um, so May 1st, I'm waiting, nothing happens, no call, not even a call at the end of the day. I'm like, fuck, I'm so close after all the struggles. Sure, sure. I go to the bar across the street from my house, doing shots of Jameson, drinking Guinness, just staring into my glass, like, and you know... I say this to anybody who wants to pursue a passion that is nonlinear. Like if you go to med school, intern, residency, and so forth, you're an associate, a senior associate, a partner. There's a direct matriculation, but acting, performing, certainly hosting a fucking food show, there's no direct line. So I knew I needed discipline that I didn't inherently possess. And my dad had given me the book, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective mm -hmm. People. And one of the things was being specific with your goals. So the idea is that um, most people say, I want to play tennis better, but successful people say, I want a better backhand. So I took a binder and I wrote specific goals for each year and I put myself in a five-year plan. And Man vs. Food got picked up almost five years to the day of my graduation from Yale. And they were like goals like, I want to get my SAG card. I want to book a national commercial. I want to make 30% of my income from acting. I want to get new headshots. I want to have by coastal representation. I want to spend one pilot season in LA, but very specific goals. So I was like so fucking close on this thing and I so wanted it to happen. I go across the street. I don't hear anything. I come back home to my little basement apartment and I'm working all these jobs. I'm working at Madison Square Garden Television. I was working at Ellis Island in the theater at Ellis Island doing a play called Taking a chance on America, the Bella Lugosi Ellis Island story. <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, May 2nd, I wake up, like the Beastie Boys say, woke up late in the afternoon, and the little red light is blinking on my flip LG phone. 
And I see it and I'm like, voicemail. So I pick up and it was my former uh, uh, producer. And I hear him, hey, dude, what's going on? Um, So sorry, we had your cell phone wrong by one digit. Give us a call on this number. And it was a number I didn't have. And he was the EP. He was, this was his. So I call and I guess he had caller ID. And then I just, I call in and there's just, I hear clicks. Like I can tell I'm being transferred. And then all of a sudden, hello, Adam. Yeah. You ready to be a star, dude? Oh, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, Well, we went in, uh, Patrick Young, brilliant uh, British producer who ran the network at the time, he said, we went in, gave her a little song and dance, turned the lights off, showed the sizzle trailer, and Pat Young said, well, this is obviously a show. I like the talent. Let's get 10 episodes and see how it goes. And I was like, wait, what? He said, you're going to be on TV, dude. You're going to have a show. And I dropped to my knees, and it was like that Johnny Drama victory. Sure, sure. Like, ah! And then suddenly... My hangover was like, remember how you drank all last night? So yeah. It was like, ah, boom, boom, boom. And all the, the walls like slammed in on my head. And I'm like crying like I was happy. But my head felt like a jackhammer had hit me. So I was like happy, but crying, but dying, but like joyful. So yeah, I've had I've had some some interesting celebratory moments in that basement apartment, dude. You you know you know that's that that's an accomplishment that you've probably been waiting a long time for. Yes, sir. You know you get it. And uh, did you even know how to like like financially figure out like what they were giving? Like, were you able to say how much you wanted? You just took whatever the fuck they were giving you. Like, Can I be honest with you? So I got people say like, how did you audition? Did you just like show up at the Travel Channel? Like, I'm gonna eat this fucking sandwich. You're gonna yeah. film it. Because yeah. like, no. many people would probably given the opportunity would go eat. Like crazy or do whatever, like you know that they weren't obviously probably as talented as you. Thanks, man. But 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 they, but you know, I mean, if we made a call, I'm sure people would try to eat everything, right? To, no. to be like you. you Dude, know? Here's the straight dope. I signed with legit agents, theatrical agents on both coasts, coming out of Yale. But I signed with this one agency, a commercial agency. They would periodically send out like agency wide emails, like TLC looking for. Blonde bilingual Spanish speaking scuba diver for a new pilot. So, very specific things. And I had read this book called The Renaissance Soul Life Designed for People with Too Many Passions to Pick Just One. And it sort of helped me realize that food TV was kind of what I wanted to do. And um, when one of those mass emails said, Travel Channel looking for somebody who has culinary experience and I had worked in kitchens who has on camera comportment and I had done that but here was the thing I started a food journal when I was in Emory 1995 and it started as almost like a diary and it became this food journal so when I came into my audition to a wonderful casting director named Barbara Barna she said well where are some of your favorite places to eat around the United States what do you like to eat there and why do you like to eat there and I said, so I was, you know, a little cocky. I was like, pick a region. She goes, well, you're a kid from the Northeast, so tell me about the Midwest. I was like, clackety, clackety, clack, like knocking them off. <laughs> and I do, I remember like really, really well um, thinking, okay, they need regional food experience, kitchen experience, on-camera comportment, and someone who clearly knows and can savor food. 
I didn't know shit about these food challenges. It just said someone who loves eating and loves eating a lot, but doesn't, didn't say competitive eater. Sure. I show up for the first audition and like Eric Badland's booker is there and big competitive eaters. So I didn't know about like challenges, challenges, challenges until the very, very, very last screen test at Katz's Deli. And I show up and they wanted to call the show Pig Out. And I started calling it Man versus Food in my last screen test. And that's obviously what they went with. But the show, I even show you a picture on my phone. I have a picture of the first T-shirts that I was like, fuck no, I am not wearing it. I don't want to be around. What was it? It said, I pigged out with Adam Richman. And it was a picture of a pig, like a, with, like a dirty pig with, like, pit, with like a chef's hat and dirt on its face and dirt on its bib. And it was like my name on either side of like a dirty fucking pig. I was like, mm, no, thank you. I don't need my haters like having an on-ramp and a visual aid. And I don't think that pig out, even though I could be chowing down, I don't think it's necessarily sure, one sure, and the same. Sure. So my final screen test was at Katz's Deli, and there was this guy with the weirdest sort of version of a mohawk I've ever seen. And his head was shaved, and he had like long hair in the front that he gelled back. And I'll never forget as long as I live, he leans forward and he goes, Hi, coon dog. You have really beautiful eyes. I ain't gay or nothing. And I was like, um, coon dog, is it? You may want to invert the order of some of those sentences. You might make a more compelling argument. But I watched, and that was the first time I was like, oh, I got a mow. I got to crush some food. So I knew that I was going to have to do this at Katz's Deli, and Katz's is not the cheapest. Sure, sure. It's like $22 a sandwich. So I was mad broke. So I deliberately had only had like a protein shake or whatever the day before, worked out like a beast, came into the screen test ravenous. Mm. And that was, ironically enough, my first day of work at MSG. So I eat this double Reuben. I eat this double Reuben, an order of fries, these sodas, pickle, finish the whole thing. I show up to my first day at MSG. And my, my friend who was my liaison there, I go, dude, I have to tell you, I just auditioned for this show. And I had to do this kind of food challenge. And I'm feeling like I got a comet or like, a Yugo or a smart car parked in my belly right now. <laughs> and he goes, you know what? It is such a unique excuse. I can tell you're not bullshitting me. Just go, just go do you. So I got a, I got a reprieve for my first day at Madison square garden. And I'll never forget. I, uh, I got my show. I got the sizzle trailer. I showed it to the staff and one of the directors was being a dick. He was like, Oh, where's our TV star PA? Mm. I'm like, I don't know, Travel Channel, let me pick the show up. Yeah, okay. Mm. And then flash forward to the New York episode, and his wife was my PA. Really? Mm -hmm. It's amazing how shit works. Listen, Internet, we're sitting here with the one and only Adam Richman. Thank you, dude. Man vs. Food. I mean, he's been on Guiding Light, no? Didn't he have been on soap operas? I, I was. I, I played the lurker on <laughs> the Guiding Light. I had a mask. I looked like a weird phantom of the opera and I was attacking a girl. You thought it was a knife and at the last second you realized it was a razor phone. Mm, mm. Shouts to the razor phones. Shouts to the razor phones. Internets, listen, uh, pull up um, pull up some old episodes of Man vs. Food. Pull up some other stuff. What, what, what show we got not going on now? So, gosh, so there was, right now is Secret Eats on the Cooking Channel. But mm. on Travel Channel, I did Man vs. Food, Man vs. Food Nation, Best Sandwich in America, Fandemonium, and then 
they combined Man Finds Food and Secret Eats into one show, and it's now on cooking, and that's the one about hidden restaurants and off-menu dishes. And then there's also the NBC game show I did called Food Fighters. Nice. Was that uh, Travel Channel's most watched show, uh, Man vs. Food? It was, yeah, up to the time. And then I think it was then it was Andrew, and then it was me, and then it was the Ghost Guys, and I'm not sure what it is now. But yeah, it was... It, it lowered their demo and one of their highest performing shows mm. and highest mm. rated premieres. And it's crazy to think about it because you mm. make this show in a vacuum. I'll be dead honest. The big shows the year I came out was Bridget's Sexiest Beaches. They had the girl, Bridget, from The Girls Next Door, the older of the three mm-hmm. playmates. Mm-hmm. And Dahani tackles the globe with Dahani Jones and the Bengals. So we shot our commercial in the same place I did that Atlanta pizza challenge. Like we had no budget. I paid for like, like props and I ironed on like letters onto these girls t-shirts and we made shit happen, but it was like super ghetto, super low budge. That's how it's got to be done. Listen, internet, don't go nowhere. Okay. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Sitting here with the one and only Adam Richmond. Cheer. Hey, it's John Seymour from sweet chick. You're listening to the premium Pete show with my main man, Premium motherfucking Pete. Internets, and we're back sitting here with the one and only Adam Richmond. Listen, during the break, we were talking about um, finally getting a chance to meet Nas. Yes. Slick Rick at uh, Sweet Chicks Grand Opening in LIC. How was that meeting Nas, man? Well, first of all, shout out to John Seymour for making the magic happen. Like, I, same thing with you. Like, I I slid into his DMs and, like, I was just (laughs) like, yo, really admire what you do. And, you know, not for nothing, a lot of the guys who run around in the circles that he's now running around, like sure. pictures of him in Park City, he's got Sweet Chicken LA, he's got one in City Field. They can he's, open up all over, man. He just did the hype, and he's just around, man. And the thing is, he's still, like, all about his kids, all about his lady, like a good dad, a good husband. And not for nothing, growing up where we grew up, and especially in entertainment, that's not normally the lyrics to that song. Sure. You know what I mean? So he's just a really exemplary dude, and I met him, and I, he sent me a text saying, yo, come through. And he said, Nas will probably be there. And I was telling him, I said, you don't understand. Like, when I bought Illmatic, there's the Wiz, nobody beats the Wiz, the Wiz opposite the King's Plaza Diner. Right across the street, yeah. Yeah, it's where I bought, bought my, uh, my copy of Illmatic, and I remember driving, my, my, my pop passed, so I'm sorry I lied to you, Dad, but... I was driving the Toyota Cressida, my stepmom's Toyota Cressida, home. And that first, the first drop, New York State of Mind, mm-hmm. that boom, 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 that first DJ Premier lick that came mm-hmm. in. You know, that deep piano roll, Rambo's a monkey flipping with the funky rhythm, I'll be kicking. Talk about it. I was just, oh, dude, that album. I will fully cop to when I did the USO tour and I went to Korea. Me and some troops like rapped the whole song of halftime together. They just had nobody to like spit rhymes with. But um, I remember I was just staring. I could, I'd never heard anything like this. And I veered over and my side view mirror clicked into the side view mirror and fuck my, my, like it dangled off and I had to fix it and all this shit. But I remember <laughs> I was just mesmerized. I had never heard hip hop like that. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, I remember buying like Kid and Play 2 sure, Hype sure. and learning the Kid and Play Kickstep and learning, you know, I mean, I was into Tribe. I was a big Native Tongues family guy, really big into Jungle Brothers, really big into Tribe Called Quest. And I remember Third Base and Slick Rick, The Great Adventure Slick Rick, 
PE, big public enemy guy, sure. big, big public enemy guy. Uh, but yeah, and so then he was there and everyone was trying to get an audience. And I'm praying to God. I'm like, yo, I've been on TV for a decade. This motherfucker must have just gotten high and watched one episode of Man Yeah, yeah sure, sure. So I go over and Nas, he's rocking his Supreme hat, two huge bodyguards there, you know, smelling kind of iry. So I went over and I was like, hey, man, it's truly an honor to meet you. I said, you've been sort of a... a uh, a hero of mine for some time and I and I told him I said Adam Richman from Man vs. Food and the Travel Channel Nas looked at me like I was just speaking Mandarin he was just like that's a, that's a thing like he's like uh. I was like okay and then I like kind of like moved it on and I I just said listen I, I was with some troops and they were excited to actually do this and we like did all the halftime I had this instrumental cut of halftime I mean, whatever, man. So I said, okay, I didn't want to get, I said, can we get a picture? And then, um, you know, it was a whole, it was a whole thing with getting my camera to work. And I was like, no, this is really fucking hating me right oh now. Like God. I'm taking up a lot of time. So sure enough, John didn't know that I had met Nas. So he must've said, I really want you to meet my boy. So he goes, yo, I want you to meet my brother Nas. And then Nas was like, oh, this motherfucker, I met this boy. You know what I mean? Now he didn't say that, but his face was like, yeah, I already met this dude already. You know what I mean? So I was like, man, Nas Esco is going to hate me already. I'm going to back off. But I was like, it was still tremendous. And I got to tell Slick Rick what he meant to me, which was was pretty, pretty epic. So, yeah, I there is that thing, right? When you meet your heroes, you don't know who's, who's seen you and who hasn't. And sure. like, I didn't expect I, Christopher Walken and I had the same doctor for a while in New York and I met him in the waiting room and the director of season two and three of Man vs. Food was his assistant on Wedding Crashers. So I had heard all these stories and then sure enough, there's the man himself. And I'm sure if I had been like, oh my God, I love Joe Dirt or whatever, sure, sure, I don't sure. know. But uh, I said, you know, my director was your assistant and stuff and we actually talked for a bit and then he's like, you're making a film. Mm. I... In my face. Where are you from? Like he was like he knew. Yeah, you know, um, Dan. Dan's a good guy. He's my <laughs> assistant on the movie. Spot on, man. Yeah, and he was just. I know you. Why do you eat that food? And I was just like, hey. And he was like, turn the camera off. Turn the camera off and throw half away. And I was like, I can't do that, Chris. I can't, you know. <laughs> but it's trippy. It's it's trippy. Oh, shit. That's classic. On man. the way walking up here, E40 was like, come out to a Warriors game. And you're like, what life is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. And that's special, man. Is there anybody else that uh, you ran through the time that you were, like, amazed? Or even just, like... like Shit, yeah. I'm, Jabba, I'm a big Yankee fan, so that's why Jabba Chamberlain did the episode in Brooklyn. Okay, Because yep. he had... One of our producers had seen that he name-checked Man versus Food on it. Um, random things, like my buddy who was on the Super Bowl Saints, a defensive end, I bumped into him at the W in Westwood in L.A., and he and I became friends because he watched my show. I just went to the G-Eazy show mm, at the mm, Garden, mm. at uh, Radio City, and I saw him afterwards. And like My friend's fact- a DJ, DJ Quiz. He's, oh, yeah? He's his, uh, he's his tour DJ. No kidding. Yeah. And so even that, I think that it's just kind of... It is kind of trippy, or like even the DJ Big Boy in LA. I think that's the thing that it's so funny. Like, who watched which show and why? Like, different shows have resonated with different people for completely different reasons. Uh, and sometimes people just like follow me on social and don't sure. see the shows. But I think, like, to hear Jason Reitman 
when he's nominated for Up in the Air name-checking Man vs. Food on the red carpet or the rapper Chitty Bang name-checked me. That was huge. As a hip-hop head, mm. being name-checked in a song, Oh boy, I ran around my house at my dog when he came back from the park, just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, he said my name, he said my name, he said my name, go back, back it up to 321, back it up to 321, press play. And there it is, there it is. There rewind it, is. rewind it, rewind it again. It was sick. Even meeting Method Man and him going, oh, fuck's with your shit. You yeah. know what I mean? I saw Killer Mike in LA. Killer Mike's a great guy, good friend. What a great guy. Yeah. It, it, even LP. I yeah. actually, LP, yeah. I tweeted LP. I saw that terrible movie 2012 back in the yeah, day, yeah. and he was... It, it ain't cool, but he was kind of, he had some funny jokes about Danny Danny Glover's dentures. And uh, I kind of laughed about it. He's like, I just realized I know who you are. I watch your shit all the time. And he's messaging me. And I'm like, dude, I've been up on Def Jux since sure. Fun Crusher Plus sure. and Company Flows stuff. And, and, and my favorite hip hop lyric of all time is Aesop Rocks from the Daylight EP. Mm -hmm. So I knew his shit. I knew who El Productivo was. So then, like, to see Killer Mike, I was just like, this is insane. Like, I was like, I, I, you know, and I went over, and he was the first kind of cagey. And he was with a friend of mine, and she said, Mike, you know Adam from Man vs. Food? He goes, oh, man, it's all love. It's all love. Like, he was just, he got in there. So that, you know, that's that Fab Five Freddy. I yeah. mean, that stuff... For a kid who used to come home from his dad's and religiously watch YoMTV raps, like, oh, Black Steel and the Hour of Chaos is dropping today. Oh, EPMD got a new one. Jazz gonna drop Hawaiian Sophie or watching EPMD Brothers on My Jock or just just those old school special ed videos. You know, mm, this is a mission, not a small time thing. Classic, man. It's great. It's great. That just goes to show how special the journey is. Right there, that rundown was almost like, you know, of, you know, it seems fun, but people may not realize, I mean, they're hearing the journey of how much work was put in to get to that point. You know, we spoke before about, um, you know, uh, getting, you know, getting on the Travel Channel, getting the job for Man vs. Food. Yeah. How long did you stay on Travel Channel? Like, not only Man vs. Food, like, in, in length. How long did you stay? Oh, my gosh. I mean, till 20... 15 or 16. So from 2008, the episode, first episode of Man vs. Food aired December of 08. Um, and Secret Eats went right up until, oh shoot, we only recently moved over to Cooking Channel. So I guess till like 2016. So about eight years, eight or nine years. So from the first, like say the first 10 episodes that then, you know, then it got, you know, approved for more episodes. Were you able to find a way, like, or I mean, obviously, I think you were, you said you were represented by, um, you know, maybe a agent, right? Were you able to like increase your worth, or were you able to own any? Like, you don't own any part of Man vs. Food, do you? Yeah, Man vs. Food, I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, I was low man on the totem pole, and they had like a boilerplate boilerplate talent agreement, and um, I had just switched to a, a more powerful agency, and they negotiated a slightly higher rate. But my mom and I still. I have this problem sometimes with my reps. Not that it's a problem, but, you know, as a kid who was on unemployment, who was on food stamps, who, you know, I remember working with an accountant that did me a favor, like a friend of a friend who did me a favor to do my taxes. And he mentioned, like, how much I had made. And I knew that, I, you know, I was scraping, scraping, scraping by. And um, when my reps are talking about, Oh, you know, that special is just like really low money. 
And then they mention like something like a five figure number. And I'm like, y'all don't know like what that represented to me. Like to ever get a paycheck into the thousand, not like, you know, multiple thousands, but like getting 5,000 an episode, let's say in the beginning, they were like, oh, this is paltry. You're creating all this content. Like, and you don't know you're a babe in the woods, but you're like, I'm gainfully employed. I can take taxis and not freak out about it. I can get an iPhone. I can take my mom out to eat. What's what's the what's the biggest spend you ever spend for like when you started making money? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that. I um, I've been leasing my. I got my mom a new car. Like I, she leases because she, you know, there's different safety features each year. But yeah, I I I got mom a Beamer uh, Mm. because I remember when she had Seam (laughs) Seema. I remember when she had to uh, take a pension loan. Mm. For a little teeny weeny car, and my mom's had both hips replaced, a knee replaced, mm. and here she is, like reaching behind to like open the doors manually and cranking it, working all these late jobs. So I did that. I bought, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like my mom made chicken salad out of chicken shit my whole life, and mm. I watched her rub two nickels together to make a dollar, and work. My mom worked so hard. She worked. During holidays, she would work for the overhire staff at department stores to make extra money and get discounts. Mm. She taught English as a second language to Russian immigrants. She tutored kids at home who were too sick to go to school or had physical disabilities that prevented them from going to school. She busted her ass and went without so that I could have. So I guap out on mom. Sure, sure, sure. I like, I'll, that. I'll like drop on kicks and stuff because I'm a fucking child about that stuff. But like... To be fair, what I decided was I just wanted to up my lifestyle game. Like, I think if I rocked a grill or a big piece of bling, I'd look like a fucking fool. But I spend like 300 days a year on the road. So I'd rather spend the money on like get a first class seat, get a tight hotel, get, get a nice whip because that's, yeah, a standard of living. I will say... Because I so wanted to win kicks of the night at the Foot Locker Gala after Jerry Ferrara laughed at my kicks. It wasn't like a what are those, but he came in with like heat and, you know, the money of eight seasons of Entourage sure, plus sure. Fat Sal's Deli profits. Shout out to Jerry Brooklynite. Yeah. But a wonderful guy. I don't want to depict him as anything other than an incredibly kind, sweet guy who, again, was a fan and hit me up and tweeted me. Sure. Um, I the the watch the throne LeBron nine gold check with the first time I went into the four digit for a pair of kicks like mm. multiple four digits and that and I would say um, certain vacations I've had I've 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 only haven't had like too many because I don't get a lot of time off but yeah my first vacation when man versus who wrapped I went to Asia and I stayed in kind of bomb hotels and did kind of cool shit. So that was, that was expensive, but I haven't really dropped in a while cause I'm saving up for a house. True. Now, now here goes the, uh, real hard, uh, stuff to talk about the best foods you ever had. Of course. Shit. Mom's spinach pie is always up there and it's not like spanakopita where there's no crust, mm-hmm. but it's like chronic. Like I was explaining this literally two day to somebody, you know, on wheel of fortune, they just like give you R N S T L E right mm-hmm. now because they just know everyone's going to ask that anyway. So they just give it to you. My mom would be like, "So what do you want me to make when you get home?" And she'd be like, "I mean, I know you want the spinach pie, but what else?" So mom's spinach pie is fire. Um, but from restaurants, man, like, do you want like sandwiches or what, what? What's the best foods like you you ever had? Anything? Ah, shit. Well, you don't have to be. I'm not going to do a top five. I just know. Like I run recently. Them down. Okay, I recently tried something. I'll go a mix of obscure and whatever. There's a spot in 
Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, there's a very famous night market that I couldn't wait to go to called Jalan Alor. And it's all like street vendors and carts and it's amazing. And there's a, a place called Wang Awa and their salted egg squid and their dark soy sauce pork noodle was next level. Um, I would say the, um, wow. Uh, the Gargiulo burger from Brennan and Carr mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on Nostrand Avenue. Sure. Little Avenue. Dip, little dip in the, uh... the double dip. Got to have it. The Gargiulo burger is superb. The wings, the Bay, specifically the Bayou Hot Boy wings from Bayou Hot Wings in New Orleans, amazing. These guys grow their own herbs, make their own ranch, like right behind the restaurant. It's in the strip mall, and they crush it. They're like two trained chefs. That it's just on some next next. The brisket at Salt Lake Barbecue in Driftwood. I even say Katz's combination pastrami corned beef with Russian slaw order of fries with the celery. Just mm. have that, get the itis, go home. Best and... slice in New York. Oh, jeez. Best slice of pizza. Sicilian, I'm going to say Spumoni. Spumoni mm-hmm. Gardens. LMB. Uh, yeah, LMB. Uh, whew, Jesus, that's a tough one, man. Um, How about DeFaro? You don't like DeFaro? You know, I haven't been down to DeFaro's in a while. I used to, I went to Midwood High School. Sure, it's like sure. JN 16. Sure. sure. Uh, you know, I haven't had a DeFaro slice in a long haven't time. Have been to Crispy Pizza? What's that? Crispy Pizzeria, 13th Avenue. Fire? Oh, very fire. 13th Avenue. What, what about Da Vinci? Uh, 71st? 71st? Never what about had. Da Vinci's? You ever heard of Da Vinci Pizza? They make an amazing square on 65th and 18th. You know what's so hard now? So many places are opening and doing that Neapolitan sure, style sure, with the fire sure. burning oven, like Speedy Romeo sure, yep. has some great stuff. Um, I, I did an event with John Bon Jovi at the uh, New York Food and Wine Festival, and so, so many like unbelievably great Lucali's. Yep, yep. Lucali's really great. In the city, yep. But you know, there's a lot of places. People always say, I'm sure you would tell them the same thing. They're like, where's the best pizza? What's the real New York pizza yeah, yeah. experience? And I always tell them, it's orange formica. You get a paper plate, a piece of wax paper. There's like some random thing of like oregano with fingerprints on it. There's a thing of cheese with fingerprints on it. And you stand there, you have like a fountain Coke. And you sit there with your elbows on the thing. So like Pino's La Forchetta on sure, 7th. Sure. Prince of Pizza on Coney Island sure. Avenue in Avenue U. Sure. Uh, Trio Pizza. Um, Originals. I don't know if you ever had that in Mill Basin on Ralph Avenue. Oh, of Avenue. course. Yeah. I, I used to manage the Blockbuster on Ralph really? Avenue right by the Arch Diner, my dude. Am I, remember the uh, International House yep, of Pancakes? Yep, yep. I knew the kid who had to dance around like the big chocolate chip pancake. And kids would fuck with them and run at him from either angle and spin the pancake. And he's like getting all dizzy and falling over and shit in the Georgetown parking yep, lot. Yep, yep. Um, speaking of a shout out to Mill Basin Deli, one of the last yep. bastions of that. I think um, beignets from Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans. Um, Calamar. From Randazzo's mm, in Brooklyn. Mm, mm. Randazzo's. C- cannoli from Cash. Ferrari. You better have fucking cash in Randazzo's. No card. Mom is eating there right now as we speak. Really? No bullshit. Yeah. No, we're, but Try I to mean, get the New England clam chowder. Oh, really? Yeah. At Randazzo's? Yeah. I would say, you know, it's Bob and Timmy's Pizza in Providence, Rhode Island. You know, there's a Providence style of pizza. They grill the pizza. So it's a, the dough. It stays in balls. They stretch it out onto the grill, soaked in olive oil. One of the best meatballs I've ever had was on a pizza in, in Providence. Really? In Rhode Island? Swear to God. There's a place. There are, there are a lot of Italians out there. Many people don't know how many Italians. Caserta? The hill. The, the, the hill neighborhood. The, you know what I mean? There's still a couple of uh, 
those guys out there. Did you ever see the movie Safe Men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Big Fat Bernie Gale mm-hmm. is one of the tough Jewish gangsters from Providence, Rhode Island. You know, we spoke about all the great foods. Yes, sir. Now we got to go to worst. You ate some terrible food, I'm sure. You I ate have. a lot of fucking food. I have. One of the biggest things, no lie, I'm a big soccer guy. We talked about this. And this guy, my buddy Simon Felstein for Tottenham Hotspur, he asked, he goes, mate, I've got a question for you. Have you ever eaten anything on your show and you had to say you like it, but you don't like it, like it's utter shit, but you've got to say you like it? He's like, Has that ever happened? Do you ever have to lie, say you like food you don't like? And I was like... You know what? We do a lot of research, and we're usually dealing with like comfort foods, like you know what do people say? Pizza's like sex, even if it's bad, it's still pretty sure, good. Sure. That they're burgers, but like for example, do you like thicker burgers or thinner burgers? Personally? Uh, thinner, thinner. Yeah, yeah. And like my buddy loves like a thick, like five napkin burger or diner size burger. Yeah, but if I can't. I I don't like where you know. That you you got to stretch to even eat something like right, that. Right, and everyone has thin crust, thick crust. I like chewy pasta, soft pasta. So it becomes about um, preference. So what I would usually do on Man versus Food is instead of bullshitting, I would praise something I liked about it. Maybe the choice of a certain condiment or the the presentation or the use of a certain ingredient instead of another one. I remember I was telling my trainer, who was also English, I was like, you know, I'll say, you know, the use of a condiment, I'll say the construction, the technique cues, and he's like, the fact that it's on a plate. And I was like, no, dog, I mean, I just have to dial it back. So worst foods. In Iceland, I tried, there's a national dish called haukatl, but mm. people call it hokarl, but it's fermented rotting shark. Um, it's a Viking dish. They cut, They would cut the heads off the shark, take its entrails out, bury it pack it with sand and rocks and the pressure would squeeze the uric acid out but it would ferment and that would preserve it and it was fermented rotting shark mm. and then you'd wash it down sounds disgusting yeah it was really rough and it's 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 like imagine like if your hands are soggy and pruny from the bath and yeah. then you just ate yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, skin yeah. that's the texture what the fuck? but it smelled like wide open ass and then the um <laughs> the 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 drink you have it with is called brenovin otherwise known as black death so <laughs> that then I would say I tried in Alaska, but this is the other thing. My father may rest in peace. You know, and I always love you for this, Dad. My dad's law office was near Chinatown. My dad loved Chinese food. But my dad was a black belt in judo, Vietnam veteran. Whoa, hop. Whoa, hop, indeed. Mm. And uh, But even like other places, and my dad would you know, have Chinese clients, and they would bring the little the congealed blood and the chicken feet thing, and my dad would say, you don't have to finish it, but at least try it. And he said, who knows what dishes mommy makes that other people might think are gross. And he taught me how disrespectful it would be when you just turn your nose up at stuff. And he said, you never know. You might like something. We had Sicilian neighbors across the street. We had Syrian neighbors left of us. We had Irish neighbors on our right. On our, I lived on Homecrest between T and U. Sure. So you're having kibbeh, shawarma. Sure. Caponata, you're having boxy pancakes and cold can and potatoes, and then we're making Jewy McJew pants shit. We're all, I know the rest of us, we're playing, we want to watch the Godzilla cartoons or the Three Stooges or Danger, uh, Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse or Mighty Mouse and these cartoons that we would watch in the morning, Mighty Men and Monster Maker or whatever, and we would kick it, and all of a sudden, like, Nick, you loved Caponata, but to me, it was this weird eggplanty shit, then you taste it, you're like, it's ambrosia. Anyway, so in Alaska, we were filming. I had to eat moose nose. What? And I was about to be like, this is fucked up. And then like this woman explained, she's from Tiananmen. She said, 
it's actually considered the most prized part of the moose, and the elders only get that. And so the moment she told me that, I was like, I can't be like, ew, fuck this. And, you know, technically I am now. But it didn't taste good. But you better believe I appreciated it. You better believe I chewed it. Now, I will tell you this. Shit was like chewing on, like, a Bridgestone tire. I'll give you the perfect <laughs> example. And And by the way, they gave me a full-on nostril. So imagine, like, a dog nose. That's what the moose nose looked like. I got, like... I didn't get like a piece of meat and they're like, oh, this is from the nose. Like I got this, I got a straight up nostril and they're like, oh yeah, we cook it with carrots and then we brush it to get the hair out. And I was mm. like, what the fuck? So they gave me a, a beer, like a beast, like a Milwaukee's best or a natty bow, whatever. I put it in the, I put it down in the snow at my feet so I could drink it when I was done. Now it was a full beer sloshing around. It took me so long to chew and swallow that bite that when I picked it back up, it was like a 7-Eleven slushy. Mm. It was like, yeah, like a Slurpee of beer. It was completely frosted over. That's how long I chewed it for. Um, in terms of like actual Never- food things that I had, like, you know, oh, I tried that. That's That was kind of bullshit. I don't know. I mean, I'm not really a big fan of brains. Mm. And we were filming at the Oklahoma uh, Cattleman Steakhouse, and their steaks are phenomenal. But then they're like... They're real cowboys, so they're eating testicles, they're eating, <laughs> they're eating brains and stuff like what the this. Fuck? I became friendly with Josh Gad through him digging oh, my nice. show, and he like texts me a picture in his hotel room. He's like, "World class testicle prep, there, buddy," and it's literally like these dudes slicing, and I'm like, "Y'all are surrounded by the most delicious cuts of steak," and you're like, "Yeah, yeah I understand ribeye, but I had a nuts taste." Mm. Mm. I'm like, oh, "Really? That's what you're gonna go for?" But not my thing. Um, you, you ever got any food poisoning from oh, the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, from the show, that's a little bit hard to tell because sometimes just very greasy food can slam you shut like a book. Sure. Like there was a burger at a great place in Portland, Maine called Nosh. Brilliant CIA trained chef, makes his own charcuterie, but he had a burger called the Apocalypse Now Burger, and it had foie on it. It had all these different meats and bacon ends and bacon on top and this jam. And it was so rich. It was like my teeth were like, yo, give me something to hold on to. It was mm. just like, uh, and my colon, like to quote Chris D'Elia, my asshole was just like, <laughs> for real, dude? Really? Um, so I think that sometimes, the ri- I'll tell you, Holy to be shit. fair, because this is the story that I'm sure people really kind of want to hear from the guy who hosted Man versus Food. Like, what is it like after the challenges? So here it is. This is the type of shit that I know y'all want to hear, and I've got to get the people what they love. We're filming the Great Balls of Fire Challenge in Portland, Oregon. This is right when the show started becoming popular. On my dad's grave, first episode where anybody had said, I love, first time I ever heard, love your show, came because I knew you were here. No one had ever said that shit to me about anything. You know what I mean? And... You know, including like a relative who had seen me in a play, like, you know, I came here for you. So this, this recipe called for, I don't know how many pounds of habanero in the fritter, in the sauce, so spicy that when I clapped my hand at the end, a speck went in my eye and I couldn't see. I basically had habanero poisoning. I didn't know that habanero peppers can approach a level of just sheer toxicity, uh, but I had habanero poisoning, essentially. 
So I'm out in the parking lot talking shit with my PA and a great work. And yes, I'll happily write a recommendation for you, whatever we're talking. Oh, where should we go drink? What's what's going on? Oh, this is why I should check out on the day off. Okay. Yada, yada. And then all of a sudden it felt like I had gotten kicked in the stomach from the inside, like a fucking mule, like, oof. so I doubled over in the parking lot and they're like, you gonna be all right. Like one second. I run in. I'm like headed for the John. I'm they're trying to stack like chairs on tables. I'm like gangway, you know, move, bitch, get out the way. So I'm like, oh no. So I'm like pushing my way through. I get to the bathroom. I didn't know if I wanted to puke, shit, die, cry, pray. So I just literally, I sat there. The toilet was closed, fully clothed, holding my abdomen, going. Okay, whatever happens, and like mentally planning, like, okay, if it's gonna come out both ends, head in the sink, ass on the toilet, you know, you're making five grand an episode now, you can afford a mop, sure. you know what I mean? So I'm there, and I just sat there doing deep breathing and meditation and whatever, and eventually the pain kind of subsided. Um, I went home with someone that evening, and I remember, like, you know, it's like, you know, so. You know what? I got to go to the restroom. I'll be right back. And like then all of a sudden, like and she knew exactly what I had been up to. Flash forward to the end of the season. We're filming in New Orleans. End of part of the season. We're filming in New Orleans. My director was leaving to go just be a showrunner and his wife was pregnant. And he was heading home and I wanted to win. And I had to eat 180 oysters and it ruined oysters for me. And I had just had a breakup too. And I just... And, you know, I'd taken a shot to my ego. And I met this really pretty girl at the casino, the Harris in the French Quarter. Mm. So we start talking in this. And all of a sudden, some dude who I guess had been at the challenge walks by and goes, careful, girl, that guy just had 180 oysters. <laughs> I'm like, why you got to cock block me, man? Was it hard eating 180 oysters? Awful. Really? In the very beginning, because oysters are great quality. Sure, sure. And I worked for the St. Bernard Project and... Gulf Coast seafood took a huge hit. A lot of people lost their livelihood with that spill. And um, I really wanted to showcase as much Gulf Coast seafood and give these people a chance. I used to live in Alabama for a year, and I went down to Gulf Shores and Eufaula and Foley and Pensacola and all these places along the Gulf Coast. And they these people took a huge hit because even if they're you know, harvesting grounds weren't decimated by an oil spill. People had no confidence in Gulf Coast seafood sure. after that. So I was like, I'm going to champion Gulf Coast seafood. I'm going to fucking beast this. I'm going to go out and see some titties in New Orleans and drink some hurricanes and have some gumbo. And uh, uh, I used to go down to Mardi Gras, you know, got me a new show feeling like yeah, you know, sure. Billy Big Biscuits. And then, uh, I was, this is, again, y'all won't find this on camera because I didn't know about clearances and rights for songs. So I'm eating this thing. I get up to about dozen 11. And I had to eat 15 dozen. Just even thinking about it makes me feel some kind of way. Ugh. And there was a table next to us with these, like, the dudes who kind of, no no, no hate, y'all. But they kind of like, they, they, they shop from Sky Mall. Like, mm. those dudes definitely mm -hmm. are like some Sky Mall shoppers. Um... They were like really intense, but they were very funny. And I finished Dozen Eleven and I saw the bucket was like over there, but I didn't want to outwardly shout like, you know, make you move the bucket closer because I knew everybody would be like, oh, he's going to go. So I finished Dozen Eleven 
I take the first bite of dozen 12, which sounds ridiculous, of oysters. And I went, traveled so far. I said, came so far, I can't stop now. And then I jokingly go, to change this lonely love. And they all laughed. And me and the guys next to us, we still going, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And then my director was going, stop. Everyone's going to stop. We can't clear that fucking song. Please. We, we it was so close to the end of the challenge. Please don't sing that song. And I was like, because it got my mind off of sure, it. And sure, I was like sure. eating and like galvanized. And everyone's like, God damn it. Ah, oh, shit. But you know, everyone in New Orleans is a little bit fucked up, you know, in the quarter. Sure. So we're eating. I finished Dozen 12. And all of a sudden, there was like this older guy, literally out of a movie, in the back of the thing goes, I want to feel what love is. And I was like, and we're like singing it. And so that's why if you watch, they, they quickly go to a time lapse during those last few oh dozen God. because we're just there. And I was like, oh, I want to know. And I'm sitting there just blasting through these oysters, just crushing it. And, uh, I I remember it. I couldn't it, texturally. I couldn't do oysters till the pilot episode of Man vs. Food Nation. Almost three years later, and and every so often, still like I'll go. I'll do eight from this two dozen platter we've gotten, and I'm going to tap out because it's just after a while, it's just consistency. Sure, you have sure. no flavor. You know that was. Man versus food jacked up a few different foods for me. You know, like a Denver. I was never a Denver omelet guy, but I will never fucking be a Denver omelet guy ever again. Mm, like, mm. oh, it's terrible. But, you know, not for nothing. These restaurants were mom and pop shops and they all did great business. You know, one to 300% increase in business during the single worst economic time for an independent business owner. And to know in some small way that a kid who came up in the independent business had something to do with that. Sure. That you know, you think about it, man. A kid who was, uh, you know, didn't know what he wanted to do at one point in time. A kid who was broke. A kid who was on unemployment. A kid who uh, was on food stamps that came that far you know you think about that it's special you know if someone's listening right now um that has an idea to get into the food business uh even if it's television or whatever what is some advice you would have for them you want to know something one of the best piece of advice i heard was probably is this where you take with john seymour uh the other room but yeah okay so it wasn't this chair so the magic is gone no i'm just kidding ronnie yes yeah, sat there uh shout out to ronnie feig um what I call him, the uh, French Terry Don. Mm. Um, I remember John saying on your show, actually, and so to prove to you I am legitimately a fan, he said, you know, I walked around and I would say to talk to people in the restaurant business, you know, um, hey, if I want to get in the restaurant business, and they'd be like, no, I don't do it. And he said, and I was like, yo, fuck you. You're doing it. Yeah, sure. You're doing it. I don't understand that. So I'm going to tell you straight up, I read... Two books, three books, to be fair, that really changed the direction of my life. And I don't get one fucking penny. I want to make this abundantly clear. Like, I got no back end points. I got no vested interest. And I hope if this podcast, you know, the same way I find inspiration and entertainment listening to you, my dude, like, if anyone, th these the three books, I read one by a guy named Don Miguel Ruiz called The Four Agreements. Mm -hmm. And it's the four agreements you make with yourself to be impeccable with your word to not make assumptions, not take things personally, and to always do your best. And it, it, it fleshes it out, but those themselves are the four agreements. There was a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, 
And then the biggest one, the one that really blew my mind was called The Renaissance Soul by Margaret Lobenstein. Mm. And the reason I like it is I don't do well with a lot of like ephemera and esoterica. And that was a big problem for me in drama school. I couldn't get into the arty farty shit. Like, and I, I liked that visceral Brando kitchen sink grounded Spencer Tracy fire in your belly. Look the other fell in the eye, tell him the truth kind of acting. Um, but like the theories and stuff I couldn't do. And, and it's really brass tacks about changing your life, taking the skills you've been given and actually applying them. So I, you know, and at this, if anything, I think that me having any success, despite the fact that I haven't had, I don't have a restaurant. I don't have a line of pots of pans. I don't have a formal culinary education with the exception of, you know, taking a, a sequence of sushi training. Um, if there's room for a kid who's just passionate and knowledgeable about food, then if, if you are passionate and you are knowledgeable and you're on your grind, you have to figure out what your voice is. So mine is the voice of a kid of divorced parents who grew up in the 80s and 70s and early 90s in this bit of culture. But there could be another kid. You know, if, if what if I turn right and it was like suicidal tendencies, Iron Maiden, um, no effects, sure, sure. you know, and I loved all that shit. But if I went down or I was into Zoo York and Vision sure, Streetwear sure. and Supreme and Stussy. Clientele. Yeah, clientele, holla. And you could do, you know, all that whole, but this pre-hype beast. When I remember rocking my, at Lollapalooza 2, rocking my Phillies blunt shirt with my Stussy hat and my Doc Classic. Martens. And so there's all these different stories to tell. And everyone, you know, I believe in the great song of life, Every man, woman, child gets a verse, and it's it's how well you sing that, and that's about like the the rigor and the hustle that you put yourself up to. Um, so yeah, that was that was the big thing for me. The one and only Adam Richmond. You know, I know uh, as we wind this episode down. Yeah. Um, right now, people could watch your new show is Secret Eats with Adam Richmond Tuesday nights ten nine Central on Cooking Channel, and it's two episodes. Instagram, Twitter, Adam Richmond. Correct. Right. And Snapchat is OG Adam Richmond. There you go. And uh, yeah, man, it's the new show's Hidden Restaurants, Off Menu Dishes, and is my very first uh, international show. You know, you uh, lastly, uh, I don't want to go too long into this, but I do want to, you know. So good. I heard you uh, mention before that you went through a depression. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of us do. I've gone through and I shared this over the years. Uh, unfortunately, I think like a lot of us don't talk about it. Yep. Um, you doing okay? Is everything okay? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, the biggest thing was, you know, mine wasn't perhaps motivated by some of the traditional triggers, but the problem for me was, it was a mess of my own making. Um, it was, I knew better. I had been raised better. I was smarter and I acted in a way, spoke in a way, reacted in a way that no grown man, let alone a grown man in the public, I should have. And I was ashamed before not just my fans, not just my colleagues, because we were about to start another series. So people think that, like, they wanted to shit on me because I was out of line. But my crew lost work. Over 20, no, excuse me, over 60 restaurants lost the opportunity to be seen when that show went down. You talk about because of your uh, incident The thing that, that went down on Instagram, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing was, we were literally, I had just flown into Charleston, and then they pulled the plug. 
And we had a whole season lined up. We had all these restaurants that were all looking forward to filming with me, plus two camera guys, a sound guy, production manager, assistant production manager, director, PA, excuse me, AC, you know, and Grip and Electric. All those guys, not to mention the editors, the story producers, the loggers, the post-production guys editing sound and editing the actual footage and jesting it into the Avid. They all lost work. And I knew that the impetus was on me. And it wasn't until, and I'm so glad you did this because I've had a lot of friends, I've lost friends, you know, that they get too behind, you know, people in my family have dealt with depression and, you know, I think as a dude, you're told, you know, come on, man, man up, fucking handle your business. Everyone goes through some stuff that you're made to feel like you're being indulgent. And if I'm to be frank, it's the closest I've come to like wanting to chuck it all since my father passed away. But the truth is, I'll tell you, and I please, if anyone's going through a rough time, the bottom of my heart, it sounds so stupid. It was a meme that saved me. And I am telling you, like, I was at the end of my tether. And to know that the fault was my own, like I was in the best shape of my life. I had two shows about to come on TV. Within a week, I fucked it all up. But I had to own that I did it. And... I I didn't I didn't leave my house, didn't turn my lights on, mm. just was like eating, wasn't taking calls. And I'll never forget this. I read this meme and it said giving up because of one setback is like slashing your other three tires just cuz you got a flat. Mm. And I realized that that's the truth that this is this tire. I cannot I can determine where this story goes from here. I can change and put the spare in. I can get out and walk. I can push or I could slash the other three tires. This happened. And if my career had been shut down or my career was over, thank God I was alive. Thank God I still had a brain. Thank God I still had working limbs and I had other things. And I, uh, I work for two different veterans charities. I used to be chairman of the board of the armed forces foundation. I work with clear path for veterans and you see, what real adversity is, what real obstacles are, men with PTSD that come home. And like my boy Adam, who was a chef, he was a veteran uh, in the middle, two campaigns in the Middle East. And if you picked up a rock on the tread of your shoe, the sound of a rock scraping over New York concrete sounds exactly like an RPG. Mm. And you're talking about me on Instagram, and then you get perspective. So... Yes, thank God I'm good and everyone out there seek help. There's nothing not masculine about it. And real talk where, like the Dalai Lama says, you know, we're not put here to suffer and and follow your bliss. That's what I'm doing. That's what I was doing. And whether it's a blog, whether it's doing pop-ups, doing a potluck dinner for your friends, self-publishing a cookbook, writing a blog and or telling a company you like their chocolate and doing 50 recipes with their chocolate, someone's going to notice. Just for example, a girl in LA, there was a place that I filmed called Jitlada, big, big menu. This girl blogged herself eating her way through the menu, not knowing the whole time. One of the most famous food writers in the whole world was following her adventures, Jonathan gold. Mm. And then he wrote about her. Poof blew up, Mm. follow your bliss. And, and just, you know, that little boy says, you know, don't forget to show love. There you go, the one and only Adam Richman. And listen, internets, okay? Check Adam Richman's new show out, 
the one and only Secret Eats, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, don't you have another one you just said? Uh, no, it's uh, Secret Eats. Oh, the NBC one's off. But right now it's Secret Eats and my cookbook is out called Straight Up Tasty. Appreciate you, brother. Listen, we're going to get together Appreciate soon. We're going to eat like fucking 12, 14 slices <laughs> at once of pizza. Yes, sir. Adam Richmond. See Most you next deaf. episode. Cheer. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Pete Show? Email me at thepremiumpeachshow at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And we'll see you next episode. Cheer.